From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dr. Aviva. I am so worried about hurting my baby. I keep reading how bad it is to be stressed in pregnancy, that it could cause my baby to be premature, but I'm under a lot of stress. I have a full-time job. I have to help care for my parents and well, money is tight and I don't know what to do. I hear this a lot from my patients, from mamas who reach out to me in my email, from mamas in the mama pathway and who reach out to me on socials. In the past few years, particularly during and since the pandemic, it feels at times that stress has practically become our middle name, while trauma has become a center focus at the intersection of the mental health and wellness space. Books, podcasts, and social media influencers on trauma have not only skyrocketed in number, but attention, sometimes garnering millions of social media followers, and a lot of airtime is something that we're all seeing. I can barely sit in a cafe these days and not accidentally overhear a conversation in which someone is talking about trauma. Along with this, intergenerational trauma has taken the stage with an emphasis in the mama space, especially online, on preventing inherited traits and behaviors from being passed on to our children. All of this is really important, but it can also put a lot of pressure on us. Additionally, in recent years, there's been increasing common media attention, big media like the New York Times, on research into the impact of stress during pregnancy on the health of our babies. Reports have suggested that being exposed to maternal stress in utero is associated with a wide range of risks, from impairments in fetal brain development to increased rates of illness as infants, to changes in the microbiome in childhood, to higher rates of neurodevelopmental and psychiatric disorders later in life. All told, this puts an incredible amount of pressure on parents, and especially mothers. After all, it's our stress hormones that are blamed for directly impacting the baby. And as moms and women, we tend to be on the lookout for things we need to do to prevent harm to our unborn children. So when we see headlines about the potential connections between stress or trauma on our baby's health, naturally, It's alarming. As mothers, we typically feel totally responsible for the physical, emotional, and psychological well-being of our babies and children. And no wonder. That's been part of the cultural zeitgeist for decades, centuries. Thank you, Dr. Freud. For many women experiencing stress during pregnancy, with the awareness of the possible impacts of stress on our babies, fuels excessive guilt. If you're listening and you're a mama and you experience mom guilt, raise your hand. My hands in the air, ladies. It also creates absolutely unrealistic expectations for pregnant women to the point that many women believe we're supposed to remain happy, serene, blissful, and grateful throughout our pregnancies. We should glow. And this has actually been a cultural stereotype since the early 1900s. And if we don't, we could be causing our babies irrevocable, physical, emotional, psychological or spiritual harm now and long-term, right? We internalize all of this. It's all my fault is sadly an all too common, culturally ingrained mother's lament. And clickbait titles like the 2023 Washington Post, a mother's stress can change the makeup of her child's microbiome, don't help. And incidentally, that was based on a likely flawed and unreliable paper that was published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science. But it only reinforces the many things a pregnant mother might worry about. And who has time to do all the research on the research to see if the data is even reliable? 
Not only are we facing all the natural stressors of being pregnant, that's a big deal, and life, now we're stressed about being stressed while we're pregnant. But before you stress too much about stress during pregnancy, let's explore the data and get some reality checks in place. First of all, what is stress? We all know what stress feels like, but what is it actually? The definition I prefer is a state of mental or emotional tension resulting from adverse or very demanding circumstances. I think it's crucial to differentiate how stress shows up in our lives because not all stress is bad stress and not all stress is good stress. There is a term called eustress, which is spelled E-U-S-T-R-E-S-S, eustress, a form of good stress that can create an optimal zone of performance. For example, many people do better on term papers when they've procrastinated until the last minute. You may have experienced that yourself because the stress of the imminent deadline and the accompanying flood of a low level of stress hormones actually increases focus. Similarly, small amounts of stress can increase our immune function and our athletic performance. But not all stress is good stress. In fact, most of it isn't. Stress that's mild, underlying, or transient, however, is unlikely to be associated with adverse health problems. But this is in contrast to moderate, unremitting, or severe chronic stress or a perceived general lifetime of stress, a near constant awareness of underlying emotional or psychological overwhelm or even strain, which can be due to a host of factors, including chronic exposure to financial stresses, poverty, racism, genderism, illness, marital tension, or overwhelming life responsibilities. And that more mild stress that's kind of underlying and transient is also in contrast to acute stress, which may be caused by a sudden or major life change, loss, or trauma. It's these types of stress, often leading to distress, that are more typically associated with emotional, cognitive, or physical symptoms, or even changes in our physiology. But what's really important to recognize is two things. One, we're all gonna experience life stress, and we can't predict when it's gonna happen, or how severe it's gonna be. And it's also important to realize that yes, some of the stress itself, the cortisol, the adrenaline, and I'm gonna talk more about these, may have an impact on our physiology. But it's also important to recognize, and this is what is more in our control, that often it's life stress that keeps us from taking care of ourselves optimally. So we might not be eating as well. We might not be exercising. We might not be sleeping. We might not be getting our prenatal care or other care that we need. And that may in and of itself largely explain the impact of stress on outcomes. So before we dive more into stress, let's actually look at how common it is in pregnancy. Basically, as common as stress is when we're not pregnant, Stress of many kinds, including stress-related mental health conditions, are exceedingly common in pregnancy. We don't become pregnant and suddenly magically lose the stress that we were having in our lives before. If anything, we become pregnant and now we're starting to have those maternal worries about finances and bigger life issues. And if we do come from stressful or traumatic families of origin, we may be worrying about passing those stressors on. There are all kinds of things that come up. And Maternal stress and maternal mental health challenges have been on the rise in the past few years, exacerbated by the pandemic. So what do the numbers tell us? Well, over 70% of pregnant people in the United States alone report experiencing at least one stressful life event in the year before giving birth. Meta-analyses, which are studies in which researchers look at all the best studies that are related to each other on a topic, eliminate the studies that aren't as good quality, keep all those good quality studies, and then aggregate the data to kind of have a 30,000-foot view of the bigger findings. So these meta-analyses show us that between 18.2% and 24.6% of women reported elevated anxiety symptoms during pregnancy with higher symptom severity in the third trimester, and 8 to 23% of infants in the U.S. are estimated to have had prenatal exposure to depression. 
Worldwide, it's estimated that 10 to 35% of children were exposed to prenatal stress. The most commonly reported stressors experienced during pregnancy include moving to a new address, arguing with a partner more than usual, serious illness and hospitalization of a family member, and inability to pay bills. In addition, external stressors such as extreme weather events like hurricanes, tornadoes, and floods, which we all know are occurring more frequently, and other global adverse events, the pandemic being one, but all of the other things that we're hearing about all the time, 24-7 if you're following the news cycles, may contribute to significant acute and chronic stress during pregnancy. We know that the pandemic alone increased women's rates of perinatal anxiety and depression by 70%. So if you're pregnant and stressed, here are three things I want you to know. First, you're not alone. Second, it's not just you. You're not causing it. You're not just badly reacting or responding to stress or not having resilience. And importantly, and I cannot emphasize this enough, it's not your fault. Stress in pregnancy is also a really challenging topic to study. We can't run randomized controlled trials in which we purposely expose pregnant women to varying levels of stressful situations and see what happens. So the studies on stress during pregnancy are observational ones. They're based on people giving their reports, researchers looking at the evidence and asking people questions, and making judgments on this. These studies can show what's called correlation. In other words, it can be true and true that a pregnant person, for example, experienced stress and their baby had a health issue, but that doesn't prove causation. It doesn't mean that stress in that pregnant person caused that outcome. And as economist and author Emily Oster explains, one major weakness of a lot of the research is that it's hard to tease out whether the effects are due to the stress in utero or due to the consequences of the stressful event or circumstances in which the stress occurs. For example, the stress of caring for an aging parent on top of having a day job and a home and family to manage could mean that a pregnant woman isn't sleeping enough due to her worries. She's skipping meals because she's running from one caregiving task to her job to another caregiving task, or she's skipping exercise or even her prenatal visits due to lack of time. So she's skipping all of the protective and health promoting things. And that in and of itself increases her risks of having adverse outcomes. Getting laid off could mean that a family no longer has enough money for nourishing food or prenatal vitamins. So is it the stress itself that may impact the mother or the baby's health? For example, the accompanying elevations in cortisol or adrenaline. Is it the accompanying impact on time for personal and prenatal care? Or is it a combination of both? And can increasing the protective things that we do act as a buffer to some of these inevitable stressors that are going to happen in any and all of our lives. Major stress is also more common among groups that are marginalized and disadvantaged in other ways. So for example, the child of a mother experiencing chronic stress from living in poverty may also be affected, it will also be affected by other factors that can negatively affect their health, like pollutants or poor nutrition or lack of access to good prenatal care. In addition, women who are extremely stressed during pregnancy often remain so after birth. So it's difficult to isolate the effects of stress in utero, specifically on later child outcomes. There are almost always many possible variables that are difficult to entirely control for in assessing the impacts of stress on health. And also, when all that data is aggregated together, it doesn't really tell you what your unique stress risk is. So if we're looking at the data on stress in the US and impact on baby's outcome, it doesn't include for you. Are you living in poverty? Are you having food scarcity? Are you unable to get prenatal care? How does that research affect you individually? So when we read these clickbait headlines, that sound terrifying. And there's no excuse in our society for anyone to have undue stress due to any of these factors, racism, sexism, genderism, ableism, food scarcity, and there's no excuse for it. 
And also when that's aggregated together, it can look like your personal risk may be more elevated than the data would suggest. And that can be really scary when you're not sure how does this impact you. So all of this said, and what I'm really saying is that, yes, there is an impact, but can we mitigate that impact and how much does it impact you? I don't want to sugarcoat things. There is some well-designed research that does suggest that maternal prenatal stress, at least when it's chronic or severe or both, can have an impact on the short and long-term health of our babies. A 2016 study used decades of data on every birth in Sweden, which incidentally is a country that does have a lot of public health services and medical services that are kind of leveled out so that everyone gets them, to look at the long-term mental health of children born to mothers who had experienced the death of a close family member during their pregnancy. The study was cleverly designed in order to determine if the effects were due to stress in utero or due to other consequences of the stressful event. So they compared the health of the children of mothers who had experienced a loss during the pregnancy, so the loss of a family member during pregnancy, with another group whose mothers had also experienced the death of a family member, but shortly after birth. So in both groups, the families had experienced a major stress at a similar time, but in only one group had it occurred during pregnancy. They did conclude that when the mothers experienced this loss during pregnancy, there was a 12% increase in the likelihood that their baby head was born with a low birth weight, as well as a 12% increase in the risk of prematurity. This is really interesting because during the pandemic, we know a lot of pregnant mamas had losses in their family, and there was an increase in prematurity during the pandemic. We also know that when these babies in the Swedish study became children, there was a 25% rise in the likelihood of using an ADHD medication. And when they were adults, there was between an 8 and 13% increase in the likelihood of taking prescription drugs for anxiety and depression. But before you get all freaked out, it really is important to note that these are fairly modest effects, meaning that the increased risk of preterm birth equates to one additional preterm birth for every 250 births. And for ADHD prescriptions in childhood, it was an increase in one in 150 children. So this is not an overall high number when it comes to individual, actual human people. While the study in Sweden was looking at a unique type of stress, severe stress, the death of a close loved one, the researchers suggested that it is possible that other major life stresses, including financial stresses could lead to similar impacts. For example, they estimated that in utero exposure to maternal stress from unemployment may lead to a 17.3 increase in the likelihood of ever purchasing a drug to treat ADHD in childhood and 9 and 5.5% increases in the likelihood of ever purchasing medication to treat anxiety and depression in adulthood, respectively. We also know that maternal distress that reaches the level of a diagnosable mental health disorder like clinical depression or post-traumatic stress disorder is associated with poorer birth outcomes. For example, one study found that women with depressive symptoms early in pregnancy had almost twice the risk of preterm birth and the risk increased with increasing severity of depression, suggesting a dose-response effect. But severe and or chronic maternal distress seems to be associated with small increases in the risk of preterm, low birth weight, and some behavioral and mental health issues later in life. A 2022 review concluded that maternal stress, depression, and anxiety is associated with an increased risk of childhood anxiety disorders, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD, autism, schizophrenia, behavioral problems, and depression, as well as conditions like obesity and infectious diseases. Again, I have to emphasize a few things. Not all stress in pregnancy is a problem. In fact, research suggests that children of mothers who are exposed to mild to moderate intermittent stress during pregnancy and even distress may actually see benefits in terms of neural development. And when we're talking about these stressors, we have to, again, emphasize a couple of things. One, this is untreated depression or anxiety or PTSD. And it doesn't take into account 
what happens when we buffer the stressors with good nutrition, good mental health support and care, stress reduction techniques, getting enough exercise, supported sleep where mom's getting help to make sure she gets enough sleep and support in general. Imagine having access to an ever-expanding library of classes and resources covering everything from prenatal care to nurturing postpartum support to motherhood, all designed to empower you with knowledge and confidence. Now picture yourself in a virtual community of mamas, midwives, doulas, and more that celebrates your journey, offering guidance, support, and exclusive resources to nourish both you and your baby. This is your invitation to join a sisterhood of women embracing informed, empowered pregnancy, birth, and motherhood. The Mama Pathway is not just another childbirth education program. It's a global movement designed to support you through pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and beyond, blending over 40 years of traditional midwifery wisdom and the best of modern maternal health. So whether you're dreaming of becoming a mother, currently navigating pregnancy, or embracing the postpartum period, the Mama Pathway is here to guide you every step of the way. This is Aviva Ram, midwife and MD, inviting you to join me on a transformative path with the Mama Pathway. Dive into supportive classes, guest teachers, connect with our vibrant online community, and find empowerment in weekly support circles and monthly Q&As with me. Let's reclaim the power of our bodies and minds and the beauty of motherhood together. Ready to join me? Head over to avivaram.com forward slash Mama Pathway, and let's get you started. So when we're talking about some of these impacts of stress on the fetus, how is it that this is happening? And what's really interesting is we don't exactly understand how stress impacts the growing fetus, but there are various theories. Many explanations lead to our inherent stress response and the resultant elevated level of stress hormones that are produced, especially cortisol, which when chronically elevated, may alter fetal brain development, leading to developmental delays and mental health issues in l- later in life. However, a 2015 review concluded that most studies did not find significant associations between cortisol concentrations and childhood outcomes. Others suggest that stress affects the fetus by affecting the proper functioning of the placenta, which typically protects the fetus from maternal stress hormones. There's also some evidence that stress can cause epigenetic changes, changes that actually alter gene activity without changing the DNA sequence. And this can happen in the fetal brain and or the placenta, potentially obstructing normal functioning and development. Other research suggests that there may be critical periods or critical windows during gestation when the developing fetus is especially sensitive to the effects of stress. When it comes to the link between stress and preterm birth specifically, there is a plausible biological explanation. There's evidence that stress activates cells in the placenta, decidua, and fetal membranes to produce something called corticotropin-releasing hormone, or CRH, which can in turn enhance the production of prostaglandins, the hormone-like compounds that initiate contractions. Those studies haven't consistently demonstrated a link between maternal stress CRH concentration, and preterm birth. As I mentioned earlier, it could also be that maternal stress doesn't impact the fetus directly, but rather indirectly by ways that we tend to cope with stress, often by sleeping less, eating less healthy food, and exercising less. Research shows that pregnant women experiencing stress or mental health challenges tend to sleep less, sleep worse, exercise less, and experience more exhaustion. They report that they eat more fatty foods and snacks, and get a lower intake of vitamins. And it may be that these stressors, if you're vulnerable to addictive habits like tobacco or alcohol or other drugs, that women may actually use more of those as well as coping mechanisms. And when it comes to the behavioral and emotional issues that children may face later in life that have been linked to prenatal stress, it could be that it's not so much about prenatal stress itself, but rather postpartum stress women who are stressed during pregnancy are much more likely to struggle with mental health challenges after birth, which can really have an impact on our parenting style. 
What about working outside the home, which so many of us have to do when we're pregnant? Working outside the home is actually exceedingly common. Among women in the U.S. Had their, who had their first child in the early 1960s, only 44% worked at all during pregnancy. By the late 2000s, 56% worked full-time during their pregnancy, and about 82% continued in the workplace until within one month of their first birth. Research has generally concluded that standard working conditions don't pose a risk to maternal or child health so that women with uncomplicated pregnancies can work until going into labor. And of course, for many women, their careers are a source of joy and meaning. However, some jobs may increase risk of poor pregnancy outcomes, perhaps through a combination of being physically demanding, mentally stressful, and or involving long or irregular work schedules or mistreatment at work. In a 2008 Swedish study, women working in manual jobs with low levels of job control and high levels of physical demands tended to have lower birth weight babies and higher rates of preterm birth. A 2019 meta-analysis concluded that working longer than 40-hour shifts was associated with miscarriage, preterm birth, low birth weight, and small for gestational age. Women working more than 55.5 hours versus 40 hours per week had a 10% increase in the odds of preterm birth. Again, it's important to keep in mind that as with much of the research on pregnancy and stress, it's hard to definitively say if it's the long and stressful work conditions that are causing these risks. It could also be that women who have these kinds of jobs tend to have other disadvantages, social disadvantages, home life disadvantages, home safety, workplace scarcity, and other risks that impact their health and their baby's health. However, a 2021 survey of women surgeons in the U.S. suggests that work stress might have an impact even among otherwise economically very privileged women. It found that 42% of the surgeons had experienced a pregnancy loss, more than twice the rate of the general population. And compared with female partners of male surgeons, they were more likely to have a major pregnancy complication, 48.3 versus 27.2%. The surgeons operating 12 or more hours per week during the last trimester of pregnancy were at higher risk of major pregnancy complications compared with those operating less than 12 hours a week. There's no doubt that most women in the U.S. workforce and elsewhere are chronically exposed to a toxic culture of overwork, negative attitudes about women, and pregnancy in the workplace, lack of paid leave, and other support for working mothers and pregnant women, which means that for many women who are dependent on a paycheck, reducing chronic workplace stress during pregnancy isn't an option. Where there may be reforms in sight, the big ones we really need are still on distant horizons. So it unfortunately becomes yet another to-do on our daily checklist as women and mothers to find ways to nourish inner resilience and community support as we navigate becoming mothers in environments that don't truly support us and worse, may be the source of some of our greatest stress. Speaking of mother's health, we've talked about the impact of stress on our babies during pregnancy, which so many women put as their top concern. But what about the impact of stress on you and your pregnancy health? Pregnancy, because of the intense demands it places on our bodies, along with the incredibly profound emotional and social changes we go through in becoming mothers, has sometimes been referred to as a natural stress test. The extra demands may bump up our vulnerabilities to cardiovascular disease, diabetes, depression, and other conditions. Some research does show a correlation between chronically elevated stress levels in pregnancy and various adverse outcomes, such as increased risk for gestational hypertension, preeclampsia, and gestational diabetes. One study reported that chronic hypertension in combination with high stress before or during pregnancy was associated with a dramatically increased risk of preeclampsia. And Arlene Geronimus, in her beautiful work on weathering, shows us how this is one of the very significant impacts that racism and sexism can have on prenatal hypertension and preeclampsia in women of color and all women who are exposed to chronic social stressors. Not all studies, however, have come to the same conclusions. Several have not found a correlation between psychosocial stress and the development of gestational hypertension or preeclampsia later in pregnancy. 
So I've now shared with you about stress and physical health. It's also important to address maternal mental health. In the past few years, there's not just been growing awareness, but growing incidents of maternal health challenges during pregnancy and postpartum, anxiety and depression, topping the list. The mental health of pregnant women is a paramount concern as conditions such as anxiety and depression can be exacerbated by stress, leading to a higher incidence of postpartum depression and anxiety. So awareness of our own levels of stress and honest communication with our healthcare providers and also our personal support networks about it may help us to prevent and more quickly detect levels of stress that could be more significantly impactful on our well-being now and our well-being down the road. It's so important to break the stigma and talk about our mental health needs and our mental health considerations. Various studies have found high levels of stress of different kinds during pregnancy correlate with a higher risk of postpartum depression. A few studies suggest that stress related to the woman's relationship while she's pregnant is especially importantly linked to postpartum depression, underscoring the importance of supportive healthy relationships during pregnancy. Meanwhile, a recent study that looked at the effect of COVID-19 pandemic found that women with high levels of pandemic-related perceived stress during pregnancy had higher levels of postpartum anxiety symptoms. Of course, we wouldn't expect anything else. Again, however, this begs the same question. How much stress? For how long? And is it the stress itself or is it the circumstances causing the stress, the impact of the stress on our ability to care for ourselves optimally, or some combination of all of these factors? What we do know is that chronic, relentless, insidious, or overt stress can lead to substantial allostatic load, including during pregnancy. Allostatic load is the cumulative burden of chronic stress and life events that may impact our health, mediated primarily by cortisol and adrenaline, through the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal, or HPA, axis. Allostatic load creates wear and tear on our bodies. In fact, cortisol, the primary chemical behind the stress response, is nicknamed the wear and tear hormone. All of this can lead to us getting sick physically, mentally, and on top of that, high allostatic load is associated with worse health outcomes. Supplements can be an important way to fill the gaps in our nutrition and can sometimes be a missing link in what conventional medicine doesn't have to offer. When it comes to a whole host of health concerns we face as women and mothers, finding supplements we can trust isn't always easy. Studies show us that sometimes what we think we're getting isn't actually what's in the bottle. Enter Fullscript, the company I use to meet my own, my family's, and my patients' supplements needs. With over 300 professional quality products carefully curated to meet our needs from preconception to postpartum, menstrual health to menopause, and our overall wellness, and for products for our children and our partners too. Fullscript attests to the quality of their products, getting you as close as possible to what the products say is on the package. And I'm committed to bringing these to you more affordably. If you use the link avivaram.com forward slash supplements, you'll find an automatic 15% discount on every order. And because my work is mission-driven, I make a percentage of profits available to organizations improving maternal health. Don't worry, you'll find the links in the show notes. Join me in getting better nutritional and herbal supplements for you and yours while doing good for mamas and babies too. All right, talking about the impact of stress on pregnancy feels, well, stressful and burdensome because the last thing I want to do is add more stress or worry for you to be stressed and worried about. And the last thing I want to do on top of that is tell you to just relax because that never really helps either. But as trite as it sounds, the truth is that stressing about stress doesn't help us at all. It usually just makes the stress worse. Awareness about stress, however, and honesty, really being honest with ourselves about it, can help us begin to take ownership of what we can change to bring us more ease and peace. 
The reality is we all experience stress from time to time, if not daily. Few of us can eliminate stress from our lives, and none of us can prevent the unknown from happening while we're pregnant. And many pregnant women, and this may be the case for you too, live with chronic stressors like racism or economic tension or home life tension that have an insidious impact and about which you can do very little to change systemically. And as if mothers didn't already have enough to worry about, it really shouldn't be our burden to make those changes. It's also why, however, in addition to eating well and exercising and doing the other things that we have to do to be optimally healthy when we're pregnant, it is important to add checking in with ourselves about our stress levels regularly to our self-care list in pregnancy and beyond is critically important. It helps us to take stock of what we can shift and change, how to proactively and self-protectively cope with what we can't change, and when we need help managing stress levels that feel too much to bear on our own, that we get that help. Here are some important steps you can take to manage the stress in your life that you do have control over, and importantly, to build stress resilience, including for those things that you can't immediately change. One, learn to recognize the symptoms of stress, including those that are not always obvious. Stress shows up in many ways. The most obvious is feeling stressed out, but hidden symptoms of stress are also important to be aware of and may include irritability, anxiety, depression, poor sleep, changes in appetite, eating more or less, weight gain or weight loss, cravings for sugar, alcohol or cigarettes, headaches, stomach aches, digestive problems, fatigue, low sex drive, poor concentration, and more. Two, develop real tools for reducing and managing stress in your life. Substantial numbers of good quality studies reinforce the value and effectiveness of simple practices that you can make a part of your daily life, which include meditation, can use an app like Insight Timer that can easily get you started and has specific offerings for pregnant mamas. Yoga, which you can do at home with any number of free streaming classes or paid subscriptions. Journaling, you can listen to my podcast or read my article on the Worry Journal for a practice you can start today. Any exercise is really good for reducing stress and improving sleep as well. Spending time in nature, taking showers and baths, dancing it out, and listening to music are just a few of the examples that are at our fingertips. We just have to remember to prioritize them. And that can happen by sending yourself daily alarms on your smartphone that say, check in with yourself at 10 a.m., 2 p.m., 4 p.m., 7 p.m. And at those moments, am I breathing? Am I relaxing? If I'm stressed, is there something I can do to hit pause for Five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes right now. Can I step outside? Can I just walk over to a window and get some sunlight in my eyes? Can I stretch out and put my feet up at 45 degrees to just relax and kind of bring some of that blood flow back if you've been standing a lot or sitting at your desk a lot and just do some breathing during that time? Three, when you're stressed, it's often the hardest time to focus on self-care but do your best to prioritize sleep, regular exercise, and a blood sugar balanced protein rich diet. These will not only help you become more stress resilient, but may be an important way to buffer those potentially harmful impacts of chronic cortisol exposure on your well being, which just gets even more jacked up when we're not sleeping or exercising or eating well. Four, If you're experiencing a chronically stressful situation, try to carve out moments of relaxation and calm in order to convert chronic stress to intermittent stress. So weirdly, intermittent stress can still have an impact on you, but getting breaks in the stress actually may mitigate or reduce some of the impact of that more chronic stress. So let's say you have teenage kids and you have older parents and you're taking care of them and now you find yourself pregnant and maybe you're excitedly pregnant. Maybe you're pregnant and going, oh my gosh, 
or now all the stress in your life is compounding and making you go, oh my gosh, well, taking care of your elder parents might not go away unless you're, you know, can afford help for them. Taking care of teenagers, that's stressful. And so what can you do? It becomes even more important to give yourself permission to carve out times to take breaks. That could mean getting an overnight somewhere, just yourself. It can mean having that one prenatal yoga class that you go to sacrosanct every Saturday morning and then take yourself out for a nice cup of tea and a good breakfast and read a book. I know it sounds so hard to do, but these are such important pieces of self-care and prenatal care to weave in now, but also to maintain as a mama. Number five, connect with other mothers. Not only will this help you realize that you're not alone in your worries and your stressors, but social connections increase levels of hormones like oxytocin and DHA that actually physiologically help mitigate stress and also help us feel loved and supported and more courageous and confident. That's what some of the role of oxytocin is. Six, ask for help from loved ones. A 2021 study surveyed mothers on both their stress levels and their levels of support during pregnancy, their social support. And they found that those who reported both high stress and low social support were at increased risk of having babies who were temperamentally unpredictable, while prenatal stress by itself had no impact on the infant's overall temperament. Support of others, the research concluded, can reduce the impact of prenatal stress. Seven, seek out mental health care. Even if you can't eliminate the source of your stress, support from a mental health professional can help you manage it better. Yet in one study, over 70% of women did not disclose symptoms of anxiety and depression because they regarded their feelings as a natural part of pregnancy. Consequently, only 15% received treatment like psychotherapy. And eight, finally, remember that even if stress in pregnancy does impact your baby, its effects can likely be alleviated by sensitive, responsive parenting after birth. In one 2022 study, children who had been exposed to elevated maternal distress during pregnancy, and again, this is distress, did not display negative outcomes like decreased cognitive functioning or higher levels of negative emotionality if they received high-quality caregiving from their mother after birth. And other research suggests that secure attachment with their mother protects children from the negative impacts of maternal mental health issues during pregnancy. Now, I've talked about what you can do as a mama, but I also want to share what practitioners can do for two reasons. Some of you listening may be practitioners, but also for you mamas, it's important to know what to be able to ask for from your OB or your midwife or your family doctor or whoever it is that's giving you prenatal care. One of these is to screen for maternal mental health issues throughout pregnancy. Since 2015, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has recommended that clinicians screen patients at least once during pregnancy for depression and anxiety symptoms using validated tools like the Edinburgh Postnatal Screen, which we also use during pregnancy, or the Perinatal Anxiety Screening Scale. In the last several years, the perceived prenatal maternal stress scale was developed to also aid in the early detection of stress among pregnant women and timely intervention by healthcare professionals. But guess what? Most prenatal care providers are not using these screening tools, which are just normal for me to use in my pregnancy, because so many of us don't even know how to assess our own stress levels or anxiety or depression levels, partly because we're so used to being stressed and anxious and depression, we just kind of chalk it up to normal. So if you're a provider, get familiar with these screening tools and use them in your practice. They can really be so important in helping women get the support and also self-awareness of stress and anxiety and depression, and they can be treated. And if you are a mama and you're getting prenatal care and you're experiencing stress, anxiety, or depression, or you're just not sure ask your provider to use one of these tools. And you don't have to remember all of these things. All you have to do is go to avivaram.com, search for stress and pregnancy, 
and you'll find the accompanying article with all the references I'm sharing with you and including links to these important tools and other resources. Another important thing that we need to do across the board in our society, but that providers really need to take stock of is decreasing stigma and talk about maternal mental health. Because of the stigma around mental health challenges and the cultural expectations that pregnant women feel happy during pregnancy, it can be difficult for pregnant women to bring up how much they're struggling. We can feel ashamed. We can feel like we're doing something wrong. We can feel like we're failing as mothers or we're not good mothers. Some women even are afraid that social services are going to get involved. It's important for healthcare providers to be proactive, not judgmental and supportive and reduce fear when asking about stress and mental health during pregnancy. One study found that the main reason that women disclose their symptoms of anxiety or depression in pregnancy was because their midwife asked about their mental health whereas the main reason they didn't disclose it was because their midwife didn't ask. Unfortunately, many providers, including midwives, obstetricians, pediatricians, and family practitioners report feeling like they don't have the knowledge and skills to ask or know what to do once they get the answer. It's also really important for providers to provide early evidence-based treatment. A few evidence-based programs for pregnant women with mental health issues exist, And one that's been tested in a few randomized trials is the Mindfulness-Based Childbirth and Parenting Program, which is adapted for mindfulness-based stress reduction. This is something we're offering in the Mama Pathway, which you can learn more about over at my website. And it's something that you can learn about in this article just by clicking on the resource reference, the link to that. And it's also important, and this I cannot overemphasize if you're a provider, to avoid inducing more stress in pregnant women. You know, I was so hesitant to offer this podcast because I don't want to add more stress to you by talking about stress. On the other hand, I know you're going to read about it. I know you're hearing about it. I know you're going to be worried about it if you hear about it and read about it. So I wanted to unpack the truth. And the truth is that, yes, we know the research shows us that unmitigated uncared for, untreated, stress, anxiety, and depression can have an impact on us and our babies. That's almost like, duh, right? It's obvious. We know that stress affects us. But what we're not hearing is that by recognizing it, by getting on top of it early, by liberalizing and liberating the conversation, by saying, this is happening, this is real, and by recognizing that it's not our fault, right? There are social stressors that some of you listening, you can't avoid. If you're a black mama listening to this, you can't not be black. If you're a person who has had childhood trauma, you can't not have had the childhood trauma. If you're a person who is in a relationship that's really stressful, but circumstances are not such that you can change things right now. If you're caring for elderly parents, if you have an older child who has medical or mental health issues, obviously, which are medical also, These are stressors that we can't avoid. A 2022 article found that when communicating with pregnant women about the risks, however, we not emphasize that pregnant women are responsible for these risks. You're not responsible for the negative outcomes, whether these were factors you could or couldn't avoid. Look, I know what it's like to have stress also. I know what it's like just to have a healthy pregnancy and worry about all the things that we do. I also know that when my youngest baby was born, just one week after she was born, we had a very unexpected, very tragic death in our family. It was a very close relative. It was my brother-in-law, who not only was I very close to, but I had midwifed um, his baby at home, um, just to share how close. And he passed away a week after my, my child was born. And um, then we had another death three months later. I mean, these, not to be scared, but it it happened. And it was very, very scary and very traumatic and and did affect me postpartum. It caused me anxiety about my husband going out to work, for example. I was always worried something's going to happen. And these things happen and they can happen while we're pregnant too. The question is, what are we going to do about it? As a society, we absolutely need to reduce the amount of stress pregnant women experience. We need social reforms on every level, from food and housing and job security 
to access to trauma-informed, compassionate, respectful care during pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. Because prenatal care itself can be really stressful if we're not getting respectful care that we need. And we need paid leave in pregnancy so that we don't have to worry about what we're going to do postpartum about returning to work. We need to have care that is determined by our personal needs, by our health needs, and by our readiness later to return to work should we need or choose to or not to. Life can also be really complex. Sometimes we do need to change jobs, homes, or cities during a pregnancy. As I said, we may experience a loss in our lives as we all saw with the pandemic. And larger crises may happen while we're pregnant that we have zero control over. But what I do know and what we learned from the pandemic and what I've seen in pregnant women and mothers over my 40 years of work as a midwife and a family physician is that we are incredibly strong and capable and resilient. And so are our children. We're all doing our best with what life hands us. So taking the blame off of ourselves, off of each other, and giving ourselves more credit for all the things we're doing within our control and doing those things, honoring ourselves, taking care of ourselves, making it part of our prenatal care, whether it's taking that prenatal vitamin, getting that extra protein, going to that yoga class, even if it's online, and staying connected to other mothers and the people who are there to support us in our lives. All of this can support and protect our baby's health from all these different levels of stress. And it's a great place to start. And I'm here with you. I'm here with you in this podcast. I'm here with you on social media. And I'm here with you in the Mama Pathway, where we have tremendous mama connection and mama support. And I really hope that you take this to heart, that you deserve to take care of yourself. You deserve to have the care you need from the people in your life and from your care providers. And I really do hope to see you in the Mama Pathway. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks right here for the next episode of On Health. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time.